You're listening to Martin Wolf's podcast from the Financial Times. Mexico's Carlos Slim is now the richest man in the world, or so Fortune magazine has told us. His ascension is fascinating. This is not only because he is extraordinarily rich, it is also because the manner in which he has accumulated his wealth tells us much about the capitalism that is spreading across the globe. Estimated at $59 billion, Mr. Slim's fortune is equal to 6.6% of Mexico's gross domestic product. Bill Gates, in contrast, at about $56 billion, is worth a mere 0.4% of U.S. GDP. Even at its peak, John D. Rockefeller's wealth was less than 2% of U.S. GDP. The richest person in the U.S. would need $900 billion to possess the same wealth relative to U.S. GDP as Mr. Slim does relative to Mexico's. Does this extraordinary accumulation of wealth in a single man's hands matter? One reason someone might reasonably think so is that it implies extraordinary inequality. If, for example, one assumed a real return of 6% a year, the Slim family's permanent income would be $3.6 billion a year. On World Bank figures, the average income of Mexico's poorest 10% was $1,200 a head in 2005. So the Slim family's permanent income equals the current incomes of 3 million of Mexico's poorest people. I am no egalitarian, but this surely needs some justification. Furthermore, vast concentrations of wealth are sure to have political consequences, including corruption and populism. Thus it seems sure to weaken both the legitimacy and effectiveness of fragile democracies. These dangers are evident. But one can counter that the drive to accumulate wealth is the spur to entrepreneurship. It matters, therefore, how far wealth is generated in competitive as opposed to relatively protected markets. How then did Mr. Slim make his fortune? A part of the answer is that he is a businessman with an eye for opportunity. What, however, was his most important opportunity? In Mr. Slim's case, the gold mine was Telefonos de Mexico, or Telmex, in which he obtained a controlling stake from the government in 1990. Telmex has proved to be a license to print money, a description once used of ITV, the UK's first commercial television station. When privatised, Telmex was given what amounts to six years of exclusivity. Moreover, as Brian Winter of USA Today points out, Telmex still controls 92% of the country's fixed-line market. According to the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, Mexico has some of the highest telephone charges among its members, both for fixed lines and mobile telephony. Mr. Winter reports that voice-over internet providers, Vonage and Skype, have accused Telmex of intentionally blocking access to their sites to protect its long-distance services. Telmex denies these charges, but two points are clear. Telmex is an extremely profitable privatised quasi-monopoly, and Mr. Slim's ownership has catapulted him from being rich to enormously wealthy. No British government could have allowed an individual to become so rich from a single privatisation. 39 of the 100 richest people in the world, according to Forbes, are Americans. Interestingly, the fortunes of all these people together amount to only 4.5% of US GDP, and so to relatively less than Mr. Slim's alone in Mexico, 
These American super-rich made or inherited their money from many different activities, including technology, media, retail, and resorts. But it did come from success in competitive markets. Even where this position is controversial, as in the case of Microsoft, most, though not all, would agree that the company played a useful role in standardizing products in a dynamic new industry. To put the point bluntly, there exist more or less useful ways of making a fortune. The least useful are through political connections. The most useful are in competitive markets. These different ways of becoming very rich correspond broadly to the distinction between limited access and open access economic and political orders made in a paper co-authored by the Nobel laureate Douglas North that I cited earlier this year in a column entitled As Long As It Is Trapped, The Bear Will Continue to Growl, published on February the 21st, 2007. Are the vast fortunes being made in emerging markets the result of productive entrepreneurship or of rent-seeking? The answer to this question depends where the economies are likely to go. The bigger the fortunes made by extracting rent from uncompetitive markets, the greater the resistance to the introduction of fiercer competition, and so the weaker competition itself is likely to be. As I learned in Mexico just over a week ago, knowledgeable observers partly ascribe the country's weak growth to the lack of robust competition across the economy. Guillermo Ortiz, governor of the central bank, is known to share this view. Mr. Winters also notes that investment in information and communications technology, which Mr. Slim's company dominates, is only 3.1% of Mexico's GDP, against 6.7% in Chile, 6.9% in Brazil, and 8.8% in the U.S. Thus, Mexico retains many of the characteristics of a limited access order. Other important emerging economies do too. As many as 14 of the 100 richest individuals in the world are Russians, with an aggregate wealth equal to 26% of the country's GDP. After the U.S., no other country has so many people in this list. So how did they make their money? The answer, of course, is that they appropriated much of the wealth of a collapsing superpower. In his article, Mr. Winter worries that, that, and I quote, as the core of the global economy shifts to countries with weak rule of law and institutions, connections to government rather than entrepreneurial skill are becoming the quickest and most effective route to wealth. Fortunately, there are many excellent counterexamples, such as Azim Premji of Wipro, the Indian software company. Moreover, even where the origin of the fortune does rest in connections, the new owners are quite likely to use their assets more skillfully than governments. Mr. Slim's Telmex is an example, and the Russians' companies are too. Yet concerns surely remain. A capitalism that generates vast wealth, partly on the back of political connections, and rewards those who resist competition, is likely to generate all the social and political drawbacks of this system without many of the offsetting gains. Not all capitalisms are created equal. Those who support the market economy must never forget this. Thank you for listening. To read Martin Wolf's columns online, please go to www.ft.com forward slash wolf.